Hi, I'm Megan. I'm Colin, and this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International. How do we go about dealing with aggressive dogs as pet professionals? We can be put in many situations and have to understand their body language, their history, and all the holistic aspects to what it means to care for them, to make sure that they're safe and happy in their forever homes. Today, Renee Smith, owner of Street Dog Rehab, breaks down all of these aspects into simple things that we can do to come alongside and partner with our clients to help make sure that they have a wonderful relationship with their pets. Let's get started. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so I'm Renee. Um, I'm medically retired out of the Army. I am a mom. I've got two kids under the age of three. I have 13 personal dogs in my home that are in four packs that I crate and rotate all day long. And I've been training for just over five years now. Wow, that's awesome. So how, how did you get started five years ago? Yeah, so I I medically retired out of the Army. What do you do when you're in your early 20s and you've retired already? Um, so I went and started fostering dogs at the shelter, just bringing them in and doing my thing. And I was like, wow, this is cool. I want to be a service dog trainer. So I'm getting these dogs, I'm training them up, start getting attached to pit bulls, you know, getting against the stigma. Let's train them up. Let's flip the strip. And then, um, I was, this day changed my life. It changed the course of my training. I was home alone, 26 weeks pregnant. I had like 12 dogs at the time, but I only had 10 out. And, um, they all broke into a full on pack frenzy. Mm. Um, so I had to break up 12 or 10 pit bulls fighting all at once by myself pregnant. Wow. It was traumatizing. It was awful. And I wish I had just been taught what to do because I did everything wrong. Mm. I did everything wrong. I was so grateful. I was already in training. So I met with my mentor the next week, actually was the first time I met her. And I told her about the disaster I was living with. And she helped me turn the corner, got me into it. Turns out I had a knack for it. And here we are. (laughs) Well, you you know, you mentioned, um, sometimes it can feel like we're doing all of the right things until we've come across a scenario where it all just goes downhill and goes so fast. And so when you got connected with your your mentor and who you were working with, how did you start addressing some of those those concerns that you had with them? Yeah, so the very first thing you do when you've got, for example, the high levels of aggression I had in my home is you separate them so they can't keep practicing being jerks. (laughs) The first step in training aggression is get them to not be jerks. Mm. And then we can start making new behaviors. Um, So that's why I broke out into multiple packs. Sure. So, so how would you describe your training methodology broadly? How do you approach training dogs and, and working with their owners? Yeah. So my approach has changed over the years. Um, my where I'm at and what is seemed to be the most effective for the most people is Lima, uh, least intrusive, minimally adversive methods. Okay. So I'm not a hundred percent R positive. I'm not a hundred percent force free. Believe some dogs need a correction. But I believe those corrections should be in a context where the dog is already proven to know what we're asking and at the level that the dog needs, right? So my favorite example is I've got a Rottweiler, personal Rottweiler. You can tell her no and tap her with one finger and she will scream and hit the deck like you beat her. 
<laughs> so she doesn't need a harsh correction. You know right. what I mean? I've got no yeah. business yelling at her. But my German shepherd, he comes from a working line. He needs a little oomph sometimes just to get it through his thick skull. So it really just depends on the dog and the corrections should be based on the individual. But I'll always lead with treats. How, how do you screen that for dogs that you're working with or help an owner just figure out where to fall on that spectrum? Yeah. So before I even start talking about corrections, I'm looking at the first thing I can reinforce. I had a, a case last week where the dog was actively trying to get me on initial greeting. That's how I usually walk into a home is the dog wants me. Mm. Um, and I look for the first thing I can reinforce, which is eye contact. I'm going to look at that dog while it's being full Cujo and I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to throw a treat behind it over and over and over again until they just look at me without barking. And by the end of 10 minutes, that dog was sitting and taking treats for me. So it sounds like it really, it takes this attentive approach to really looking at the dog and, and not rushing to judgments, not you know, how do you stay under control in those kind of situations? Because I'm sure that could be pretty scary. Yeah, so a really big part of staying under control there is making sure that we've got levels of safety involved. So mm. if I've got a dog with level three bites, meaning they've not only bitten somebody, but they've broken skin and left a puncture, right? Those dogs on initial greeting are muzzled and on a leash. Two levels of safety, just in case. That way I can be confident in handling them. That way I don't have to worry about a bite. Wow. Yeah, no, that's a good point of doing a lot of these pre-screening questions and working like the work starts before you even come through the door. It sounds like so that you can actually be focused on the task at hand instead of wondering, are you going to walk out of there? Okay. Absolutely. Especially for some dogs, they like to call take what I call the cheap shot, where as soon as you go to walk away, they come up and get you in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) Those guys need to be on a leash and I have to know the context. So before I even get a dog out, I talk with the owner for about an hour and a half to two hours before I'm even meeting their dog. So we're we're talking a little bit here about dog behavior, specifically signs of aggression in dogs. So how would you define Mm -hmm. aggression? Yeah, so I went ahead and looked it up in the dictionary just to have a solid place where we're all coming from because I love to define our terminology. So aggression is hostile or violent behavior or attitudes towards another, readiness to attack or confront, meaning the dog has some intent to harm, but not necessarily intent to maim. There's a Mm. difference in dogs. There's a difference between a dog barking and moving forwards versus a dog barking and moving backwards. Yeah, reading that that kind of body language and trying to discern. So what are um, maybe some commonly missed signs when people are looking at a dog and that they they, they misread it uh, for what the dog's trying to communicate to them? Yeah, there's actually a lot of these and they're quite fun for me to talk about. So <laughs> the first big one is um, whale eyes. A lot of people, they call them crazy eyes. It's where the dog's eyes open all the way and you see the whites around them. Um, that's super common, especially in kids. They think it's so cute. They think it's fun. Look at these crazy eyes. And I'm like, no, Mm. that's not good. It's a sign (laughs) of stress. Um, tail wagging. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how many people like he bit me, but his tail was wagging. Okay. But how was his tail wagging? That tail wag can mean everything. The speed where it's sitting on their body versus their normal carriage. Um, their ears. Oh my gosh. Some dogs, all you can read is their ears. So if they're pinned flat back versus helicopter out to the side versus all the way forward, um, 
eye contact, hard staring, basically anything stiff should be a warning to us Mm. that something is up here. Right. And again, making so what I'm hearing here is that in order to read these signs properly, we have to understand the context in which the dog is is living and some of their history. What kind of questions should pet sitters be asking about the pet's history that can help inform them make better decisions on, on the body language that the dog's telling them? Yeah, so context is everything, right? Dogs don't generalize well. So <laughs> even for me as a trainer, before I walk in the door, I'm asking, how does the dog do with the vet? How the dog does the vet can tell us a lot, right? The dog, how does the dog do if your friend were to take the leash mid-walk? How does your dog do if we met outside versus inside? How do those things work? What happens if a friend walks up on your dog in the crate? Those types of questions. Yeah, because many times as pet sitters, we may only see a dog one time or the first time that we're taking care of a dog is the only time that we're, we're, we've ever seen them. And that whole situation, um, you know, thinking about this is now going, well, I, I actually don't know this dog at all. I'm a complete stranger to the dog and the dog is a complete stranger to me. Um, we need to back up a few steps and ask some really good questions before we can give the best care possible. Yeah, absolutely. And like if they, they have no idea, right, they've never left their dog with somebody. Ask them if they're willing, like if you're a little bit concerned, if you've got your little human hackles up, right? And we're like, ooh, I don't know about this. Ask them to take them to a friend's house and video chat you and then them leave so you can see what the dog does with their friends. Ah, yeah. I, you know, I think that, that we find ourselves in those situations where, especially now, where many owners have, they got pets through 2020 or they don't put them in normal in other situations. I can't tell you how many clients we've had who've gone like, well, they're just, they're our dogs. We don't take them anywhere or do anything with them. So I don't know how they're going to react. So I like that idea of going, well, could, could you put them in this situation? Obviously taking safety precautions and doing minimal yep. stuff is possible, but you know, your safety has to come, it is really important in these scenarios too. Absolutely. And the other thing is always remembering we can say no. If you feel funny about it, just say no. That is just okay. That's fine. Right. Well, and so you know, on this, sometimes you know we get in a situation where we didn't ask those questions, we didn't put these precautions into place, we've already said yes, and we're in a situation where this dog is being actively, is it's actively telling us that they're not okay with us in the house. I, I have been in many of those situations. What, what advice would you give to somebody who finds themselves staring at a dog that's really not okay with them being next to them? <laughs> Yeah. So once again, it depends. It depends on the context. If it's in your own home or their home, for the example that you brought up where we're walking into the client's home, I would definitely recommend that you're coaching your clients to keep the dog contained in some way in a crate, in another room. So you're not walking in the front door, right? Mm. Um, I always tell clients that, you know, it's okay to train doorbell away because a burglar is never going to ring the bell. So even just ringing the bell can be helpful. So they know it's a normal pattern. It's a normal person coming in. Mm. It's all about that context. Crack the door, throw some treats, go back out, be consistent, slow, and predictable. That'll win their heart. I was just about to say one thing that I found myself doing with those scenarios where the dogs are still warming up to me. You know, I, I find myself talking to them through the door a lot on my way to yes. the car, on the way up to the door, just to let them know who I am, that I'm going to be there. And I do that every single time. 
just to start building in some of these patterns so it's predictable for them so that they're not, you know, acting out thinking that it's a new situation. Absolutely. And on that note, when you're talking to these these dogs that are already potentially nervous when we're coming in the door, making sure that our tone stays friendly like we're talking to a friend, no baby talk. <laughs> that baby talk, that coddling, it can really trigger some guys. <laughs> it is, well, it, it, absolutely. And I know sometimes you can be a little self-conscious, you know, changing your tone or going, oh, gosh, what are the neighbors going to think? Who, you know, they, they just see me talking to a door. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> it but happens. You, it, it, it happens, right? And you have to take those steps again, thinking about um, your safety and trying to make that experience as less, you know, because it, you know, for those ex- those moments, you have to go. What's the goal of this visit? The goal of this visit as a pet sitter is to make sure that the stress, the minimal stress on the dog, is possible, and that I'm get, able to care for them the best way I can, and have to be adaptive and creative in some of those instances as well. Absolutely, absolutely. When in doubt. Be consistent and it'll pay off and right. throw food. Don't try and hand it with your hand. Right. Cause you don't, especially for new dogs or dogs that are still adjusting to you, you don't know how they're going to react. Uh, and, and it could be a new day or, you know, they're, they're spooked by something and it can really, yeah, cannot end well for sure. Absolutely. Paying attention to trigger stacking. Was there a storm the night before fireworks? Um, some dogs are triggered by like trash day. Yeah. Those things can change it from day to day. We don't even realize it if we're not there all day with them. Now, I like that word trigger stacking. Could you dive into that a little bit more and how that impacts our interactions with the dogs? Yeah. So I, my favorite way to explain this is with a human example. All right. So let's pretend we wake up and start our day and we go to make our coffee and the coffee maker's broken. Ah, uh, crap. All right. I'm going to try and uh, I'm going to go get my car. I got no fuel. Okay. I got to go to the freaking gas station. Now I'm late for work. And then your boss comes in and starts yelling at you and you come home and your wife says, hey, how was your day? And you yell at them (laughs) because I just can't anymore. (laughs) That's what happens to our dogs. (laughs) Well, and as you said, uh, us too. And so we, we can bring that into those situations where you've got a dog that has had some stress throughout the day because it's trash day. And you are bringing stress into that situation because you missed your morning coffee and you got stuck mm-hmm. at all of the red lights that day. Because it's always all the red lights on Tuesdays. Inevitably. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you don't if you don't take a moment to step back, breathe, reassess, see how you're doing, you can really walk into a powder keg. Absolutely. My first thing I do when I have a dog that's trying to be aggressive towards me, take a deep breath, drop my shoulders, and do nothing for three to five seconds. That's a long mm. time, but it's worth it. Yeah, because again, you have to make sure that you're okay so that, as we mentioned earlier, you're reading them correctly, you're not acting out irrationally, and that you you have control over the situation. And that first step of having control over a situation is having control over ourselves and how we react. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Have you heard about Time to Pet? Susan from The Pet Gal has this to say. Time to Pet has helped us grow exponentially. We believe the platform's features make us by far more professional than other companies who use conventional dashboards. They are the software gurus constantly developing and improving the platform based on user feedback. This decision was a good one. If you are looking for new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. As a listener of Pet Sitter Confessional, you'll get 50% off your first three months when you sign up at timetopet.com slash confessional. Now, I know 
many of us have had questions from clients who either get a new dog or um, adopt an older dog and think, Mm -hmm. did I miss the boat on training? Is it too late to work on some of these behaviors? So what would you say to somebody who is asking, you know, is there a magic age for training a dog? Yeah, so, I mean, the best case scenario, you get a puppy into training between 12 and 16 weeks, right? And they're first starting, they've got that real Play-Doh in a week and basically get them to do anything we want. Around 18 months is usually when leash aggression starts and when you see signs of resource guarding potentially around that 18-month crap zone is what I call it. Um, (laughs) And then... You know, what you got to think about, especially with these guys that are reactive, aggressive, have a history of bullying people or other dogs, right? They're just playground bullies and they've been so reinforced. So no, it's not too late, but we have to consider that for every one negative experience our dog has takes 10 to 15 positive experiences in the same context to rewrite it. Wow. Wow. So some battles just aren't worth it, right? Others are. I've got an 11 year old pit bull who... He's 15 now, but I muzzle trained him successfully at 11 years old and he was muzzle aggressive. Wow. So yeah. So no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes and no is my answer to pretty much everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you said, context is important and context is everything. What is the behavior? What is the dog? What, What situations are we talking about here? What's there's a lot of things to take into consideration, but I think that it's important to, as clients are reaching out to us, at least let them know that there is hope possibly right there are ways there are ways to work with that absolutely all the time yeah i mean we can we can set some reasonable goals it just all depends on how far gone the dog is right you touched on a a really common uh behavior that i guess you know i've encountered a lot megan i've kind of a lot is is resource guarding how can Mm -hmm. we work with the pets that we're caring for to get better at that Yeah. So resource guarding is huge. My biggest uh, things to look out for, for resource guarding is anything stiff. So they don't even have to growl, bark, lunge at you. If they're just stiff over their bowl, I'm going to go ahead and put that big label on them. Mm. And with those guys, I'm going to do management a hundred percent of the time. And what management means is they're on a leash, they're in their crate, or they're in a room behind a door, or there's a gate involved. They need something so they can't actually hurt you. Number one. Number two, the other thing you can do is what I like to call drive-bys. So they'll be eating their food and we're going to walk by and throw a Cheerio at them and walk away three Mm. to five times while they're eating. And by the end, as you come to walk by, they'll look up at you and you say, okay, sit. I'm going to take your bowl now. Thanks. You give them that same Cheerio and move on about your day. Mm. Because I know many people think, okay, the dog is getting a little aggressive. What the thing I need to do is I need to put my hands down in their bowl and I need to be touching up in their face and getting all with that. I (laughs) always leave the dog alone, please. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. No, if the dog is eating, let the dog eat. If you're going to do anything, throw food and walk away. Right. Yeah. And again, you're doing these slow incremental steps and always, always watching the dog and the dog's reaction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've got management in place just in case we screw up. Right. Right. Again, thinking that safety all the way through. 100%. Another behavior that is very prevalent and it becomes, it seems to be increasingly so, is hearing of clients who have dogs that have separation anxiety or maybe, mm-hmm. may, or, right, or maybe they are showing signs of, I guess this is two separate questions of 
starting mm-hmm. some some early signs of aggression and then separation anxiety. So let's start with separation anxiety first. What are some preventative measures that we can be encouraging our clients to do to prevent separation anxiety? Yeah. So once again, context is everything. <laughs> um, it's kind of the, the theme here. Um, the first thing I like to recommend is create time during the day, even when everybody's home. We should designate 30 minutes to an hour every day when we're home that our dogs go in their crates and get something delicious. They get a frozen Kong with peanut butter, get something super good, and they just hang out on their crates. Maybe it's during dinner time, high transition points when kids are coming home from school. I'm just going to put our dog in the crate with their A-level treat and leave them alone. And they have to be okay with that. For the specific separation stuff, we can do practice trips where we give them all their stuff, say, see you later. We walk out the door and we come right back in. Hey, good to see you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So practice trips, keeping our tone neutral, right? It's not, oh, my God, goodbye, baby. I'm going to miss you forever. (laughs) Just walk out the door. See you later, right? The bigger deal we make of it, the bigger deal it will be. They don't understand English, but they understand how weird we get based off of our neutral. So Mm. however far extreme you get off of your neutral speaking zone, that's what they're going to pay attention to. Mm. Yeah, and those can be kind of uh, uncomfortable conversations to have with clients sometimes. Uh, How do you you work with with owners through that of like, I know you were going to really miss them, but could we tone down (laughs) this a little bit? Yeah. So I I bring it back to the dog because ultimately our clients just want their dogs to be happy. Mm. They just want a happy dog that's sound. And what what I explain to them is when we do these forms of coddling, right? When we're verbally or physically trying to console our animal or help them be in a better emotional state, what we're doing is we're robbing them of the ability to self-regulate. So now they have no way to calm down unless you're present. And that's a really crappy way to live. They have so many ways, chewing, scratching, sniffing. There are so many things a dog can naturally do to calm down. And when we coddle them, we're literally robbing them of learning how to do it themselves. Hmm. I really like that of putting it back on the owner and being like, this is going to help your pet even better, right? We're making them more physically, more emotionally mature, basically, is what we're talking mm-hmm. about at this point. I love, you know, I love saying, you know, self-regulation. I think that's some people that can, they can connect with that of like, when they are always constantly looking to you or need you present, you are, like you said that just, I'm going to restate it because it's perfect, <laughs> robbing them of that ability and that key feature to them to allow them to function, right, as an individual in their, in their environment. Yeah, it's and it's something just that subtle, and it usually clicks really well with clients. I don't have a lot of pushback once I start talking like that. Now, a, a, aggression may be. I'd like to get your take on on aggression because many people, um, I feel like some clients wake up one day and they have an aggressive dog, or they have a dog that right. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> how how do how do how do our clients find themselves in that kind of situation? What what kind of things are they missing? It depends. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So when I first hear about a dog who has a significant behavior change out of the blue, right? First, I want to know their age. How old are they? If we're talking about a dog that's, you know, an adult dog that suddenly was amazing in the same exact situation 100% of the time, and this time they weren't, Mm. take that dog to the vet and make sure they're not hurting. 
right? Make sure they don't have a toothache. Make sure they don't have an ear infection. Some dogs have leash reactivity simply because they've got compressed vertebrae in their neck. And you would have never known unless you got them checked by the vet. Right. I had one dog with really severe anxiety and we couldn't figure it out. And I said, hey, guys, I think he's blind. Sure enough, he was blind. (laughs) And they had no idea. They had this dog for a year and he just had adapted so well to their home. Wow. Wow. So vet check number one when we have black and white changes in our animals. (laughs) Um. The other big thing I want to look at is what signals might we have been missing? So I'll go back to those original, what signals did you miss? Okay, but has he ever been stiff when you did it before? What Mm. was he like the last time you did it? Not what label they think it is. Okay, what does fine look like? Get them to describe that behavior for you. Right. Yeah, and they may have to take some time to really think about that because if they mm-hmm. missed it, right? They missed it. They weren't paying attention. But so, right. <laughs> right. Right. But having some just prompting them and asking, does he ever do this? Like and pointing out some really small like you mentioned, like just does he ever stand stiff whenever you put the bowl down and you're next to him? And letting them know like that that is actually a sign of, of resource guarding. And many yeah. people would would never think about that because they think of resource guarding of you know, the, the, the barking, the growling, the, the hunched up, you know, actively going after you, but going, no, this is, this is, that was, that was an early sign. Yeah. My favorite thing to do is tell clients, we look for the whispers so our dogs don't have to scream. Mm. I'm going to have to write that down. That's really good. <laughs> That's really good. It works. If we look for those whispers and they don't have to scream, we can nip the aggression right in the bud. That's how we fix that initial aggression stuff. I'll take a situation where a dog would normally be stressed, right? I have a personal dog, Bentley, super aggressive when I got him. He bit me seven times the first day over an empty food bowl. Mm. Wow. Every transition, moving in and out of rooms, he was attacking dogs the whole nine. So now what he does when he gets stressed is he'll grab a bone, hop on his bed and show it to me, wag his little tail, flip it up in the air. Look, mom, I got my bone and he'll lay down and chew it. I replaced that transition point with a self-regulating behavior. Right. Yeah. Pointing them to something of to, to, to do instead. Right. Because Correct. Par- part of these actions are sometimes I feel like, well, they don't know how to communicate any other way. Right. They don't have yes. any other language to use. This is just what has yeah. been ingrained in them. And part of this training process is going is that part that redirection that going, no, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. And just staying consistent with that. Absolutely. Keeping in mind, it takes 60 to 90 days to rewrite a dog's brain. Mm. So there's no way as a pet sitter doing short intervals, you're going to actually be able to fix any of these behaviors. But if you can get it on recording, you can show the clients their dog's specific signals. Well, and you said a key word there, you know, it might not ever be be fixed. So is, is something like aggression in a dog, can that be cured, can that be fixed, you know, permanently? Right. And everybody wants me to say yes, but the the answer is no. There is no mm. cure, quote unquote, I forget people can't see me. There's no cure for aggression, right? Yeah. But just like in Bentley's case, we can find replacement behaviors. Right. Um, and if we stay up on it, they will continue to give us as humans grace. Because us humans aren't perfect, right? We're not going to be able to do a protocol exactly right every single day for the life of the dog. There's just no way. But if we're consistent for long enough, then when we do screw up, they just kind of look at us and go, what was that? And we go, oops, 
And everybody runs back to their corners and goes, okay, never mind. Right. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Well, and, and as as a, a pet sitter, as a dog walker, you have a you have a, a unique ability to partner with the owner, right? In addition to you know what the level of what we're talking about for behaviors with dogs right now, it sounds like this really needs to be managed with a, a trainer working one on one with them with the owner. But the pet sitter, the dog walker, the house sitter can really be a partner in that, be another set of eyes. And it'd be another way to reinforce this with the new situations they're being put in and all of the things that you know, go, go along with that care. Yeah, absolutely. It's so many of the aggressive dogs I work with could really use a pet walker, could really use a pet sitter just sometimes so the family can get a break. Right. You know, it can be so helpful. Right. And that's something to to be mindful of, I feel like, too, is. With when dogs are, are are acting out in this way and they have these behaviors, sometimes there can be a lot of shame on the owner's Absolutely. part, right? Where mm-hmm. they they feel like they like they have messed up their dog. They can't yes. do anything. They can't go anywhere. They don't want to make anybody else's life miserable for the dog, and so they never mm-hmm. reach out for help, right? And they and they continue kind of in this cycle and. Whenever they do have that opportunity to be gracious to them, because as you said, we're humans, we're all going to mess up. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we do. We're really good at it. (laughs) (laughs) You started off talking about a day in your life that completely changed how you thought about dogs and dog aggression was breaking up a dog fight. And that is a common scenario that we find ourselves in, whether that's at a dog park, whether that's in our home. Sometimes it's the owner's home if they have multiple dogs there. Or just or a random dog on the street that comes and approaches yep. us and something breaks out. So, from your experience, how would you recommend somebody break up and get it and resolve a dog fight? Sure. So it depends on where we're at. Um, let's pretend in the context of we're inside the home with multiple dogs. Okay, we're in the home. It's the client's dogs. They're all just going after each other. The first thing we're going to make sure is that when we're giving out novelty items, we have management to hopefully avoid that. So novelty is any type of new toy, new food, making sure they're separated so they don't fight over it. Number one, right? Prevention. If they do get into a tussle, your first move is to actually walk away and find something loud. Mm. Okay. Don't scream best you can. The biggest thing is stay away from the pointy things. Hands versus teeth, we lose every time. Stay away from the teeth. Stay away from them. Mm-hmm. I had a guy try to break up a fight. My rock bit him clean through his hand and broke it in two pieces in one bite. Wow. Stay away from the teeth, okay? We go to the kitchen. We find two pots. We bang them together real loud. Um, I love this product called Pet Corrector. It's just a compressed air in a can. It makes a loud hissing sound. That's great at separating stuff. Another good one is like a classic air horn, like you'd find at a track meet almost. That'll flatten the whole block. Those are great for dog park fights because when they frenzy like that, you need something big. Um, Those work great. Another good one is spray shield. That one I like for my walk protection. If I've got a loose dog, run up on my dog and grab a hold of it, I'm going to hit them in the face with spray shield. It's just compressed citronella. They just don't Mm. like the smell. They're going to run right off. It's excellent. Um, for the little tiffs, you can always use just an ultrasonic remote. Those work great as well. Yeah, because it sounds like, you know, 
the last thing we want to be doing is putting ourselves in contact with the dogs. You know, you say stay away from the pointy ends. That includes legs, tails, anything, because they can spin, you know, they're reacting fast. They're, they're, they're not paying attention to exactly who or what's touching them. They just know something's touching them. Right. And so put pulling ourselves out of that equation. So we don't escalate. We don't do anything to make it worse. And these products that you're talking about, these things are really just trying to get, break a split second of attention, right. And get them focused on something else. Correct. And as soon as they are, then you can start saying, go to your crates, go over here. Let's do something else. Get them outside Mm. and then close the door as half the dogs run out the door. Right. Right. Just get them away from each other. If you absolutely have to touch a dog in a fight, you're aiming for back feet up to your hips and spinning like a wheelbarrow. That is worst case scenario, last ditch effort. You grab the aggressor. That is the very last thing you are allowed to do. Other than that, you really need some coaching. You really hopefully aren't getting put in situations where dogs have that much intent in fighting. If you are, then the client lied to you, and that's a whole other situation. (sighs) Yeah, then that takes some (laughs) – yeah, that's that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, for sure. sure. But but you're right. Again, just thinking of like there are ways that I need to – there are things I can step through uh, before I even think about grabbing the dog and, and putting myself in direct harm. Yeah. I like to think about a human running into a dog fight is the same as putting water on a grease fire. <laughs> You're not doing anything to help. You're just spreading it around. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's my favorite way to think about it. Um, another key thing that people mistake and that I didn't even know until I started really diving into this, if you've got a small dog and another dog is approaching your small dog. Don't pick that dog up. Mm our first instinct hold that little dog to our chest and that makes yeah. it so much worse throw it in a trash can throw it in the bed of a truck lay on top of it those <laughs> are way better options you have to practice i do highly recommend practicing right okay so how would you recommend practicing because uh, what what would that look like yeah so like i run fire drills with my dogs basically <laughs> I'll be like, oh, crap, everybody, I have a a peekaboo cue that I use Um, because it's impossible as a human to say peekaboo and make it sound aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just peekaboo. And that means food is going to appear from the skies. And that I just practice that over and over and over again. So Mm. anytime something's starting up, I can just yell peekaboo. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that means food. Are you a member of Pet Sitters International? PSI is the largest educational association for professional pet sitters and dog walkers with a mission to promote pet sitting excellence through education. After the tumultuous past year, having the support of a strong community and direct access to educational resources and business tools is more important than ever as we rebuild our businesses. PSI is here to help. With a free monthly member toolkit, monthly bonus resources, online trainings, private member group on Facebook, and more, along with group rates on insurance and background checks, PSI is the one-stop shop for everything you need for your pet sitting or dog walking business. As an educational association, PSI believes that if you know better, you'll do better and invites you to join thousands of other like-minded professionals who are committed to offering the best possible pet care services and elevating our industry. If that sounds like you, visit PetSit.com PSC to learn more. Our listeners can save $15 off your first year membership by using promo code PSC15 at checkout. Now, you also have 
two kids, as you mentioned, and you um, have them around these dogs. And many pet sitters find themselves with kids and dogs. So what kind of recommendations would you give to parents who are also pet sitting and want to make sure that everybody stays safe? Sure. Yeah. So I try really hard not to scare people, but this is where the stuff can get kind of scary when we start talking about kids and dogs. Okay. Um, so I've personally been bitten in the face twice by two different dogs as a kid. Um, I got bit under the chin and I had a great Dane take off about half my face when I was 12. Mm. Um, so I am the example of the exception of the rule. Most kids with that kind of damage would not have gone back to liking dogs. So it's really important to me that kids are not afraid of dogs. Um, and how we do that is with management. So even in my home, I've got a beautiful gate separating my kids' play zone from my living room. That way my kids have a dog-free zone they can play in. Mm. Kids are unpredictable. There's no way we can make kids do the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) They don't know. They're just finding their voices. They want to stumble around and throw stuff. Cool. Let them do that. Away from your dogs. Away from dogs that you don't know. Right. Absolutely. Right? There's this this golden rule that the three... The three rule. I don't know what it's called. I forgot right now. Uh, anyways, three days, three weeks, three months when you get a new dog. First three days are decompression window. If you guys are pet sitting, you have the dogs during a decompression window where they're little and unpredictable and you don't know what's going to happen. I would never expose my kids to a dog in their first day or two in a new home. Mm. Absolutely not. Um, there would be gates up where the kids can throw food at them. The dog can be on leash walking around with you. That's all totally fine. But at least one level of management should be in play. And we should be actively supervising. When my kids are interacting with my dogs, I'm not on my phone. I'm not watching a show on TV. I'm watching my kids interact with my dogs. Monitoring those behaviors. And I kind of like to, when we have dogs here in our house, because we will board and we do the meet and greets and we go Mm -hmm. through the screening process and ask these questions. But we still try and provide space of a, a, a kid-free dog zone and a dog-free kid zone, right? Yes. <laughs> where, where, where everybody can, uh-huh. can go and have their own space because everybody needs that. Everybody needs to be able to step back, to shut a door, and to, to, to be themselves and to act the way they want to act and not have to be so watchful all the time. Like That's just really needed to help through that, especially that you mentioned that decompression time. And, and really allowing everybody to have both physical and mental and emotional space, too. Absolutely. And keeping in mind things like um, kids between five and nine are at the most risk of getting bit. That's the age range that most kids get bit. So if you've got kids in that zone, making sure your management is on point is super, it's really smart to do. Making sure we're not teaching our kids to correct dogs that don't live in the home. We don't have a reinforcement history. We've got no business correcting. A child should never be in charge of corrections. My child will say, leave it, and the dog will come to me for reinforcement because it's a cue, not a correction. Right. Yeah, and that can be hard as parents because we like seeing our kids take those positions and, oh, look what they're doing with the dog. Isn't that cute? But what you're saying is, you know, again, no, like it needs to be focused. It needs to be consistent here. Yeah, absolutely. Kids can be in charge of enrichment. Oh, kids are the best at enrichment. They're so good at playing. Us adults suck at playing. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I make kids in charge of enrichment all day long. That's their job, right? Go go make something cool out of a water bottle. And give it to the dog. How fun is this? Right. Um, 
but we don't have them in charge of making the dog sit, stay for a bowl, especially an unknown dog. We, we don't have them in charge of walking these unknown dogs, things like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And just remembering what roles are appropriate for them and age appropriate yeah. things as well. Absolutely. Any kid under the age of 10 generally can't handle being part of a, like a regimented training protocol is mm. what I like to consider. I wanted to touch on the topic that I'm sure many listeners are thinking about. They're going, ooh, aggression. Surely they're going to talk about dog breeds uh, and <laughs> aggression in dog breeds and all this stuff. So <laughs> I would love yeah, to get you. It always comes up. It always comes up. It always does. It's always a really big topic. And yeah. especially with not so much of people in the pet care industry, because they see dogs in all sorts of circumstances and know, right, that it's not. How can we help communicate that aggression does not equate to breed and breed does not equate to aggression to our clients and start wading through some of that misinformation that a lot of people have? Yeah. So a lot of the times when I hear clients talking about, for example, the classic pit bull, right? They're aggressive. They're mean. They'll chase everything and bite it. I flip that and say, you're right. They do have a lot of prey drive. They have a lot of work drive, which mm -hmm. we can harness and turn into something else. But when it's left unchecked, of course, us as humans, when we're toddlers, we say no to everything. And unless it's checked, we will continue being little jerks. <laughs> So looking at the breed and as far as what that breed's motivating factors are can really help change the conversation away from breed stigmas. Right. Well, and you've, you've sounds like you've done a lot of your life dedicating to flipping that script on these yeah. stigmas that are around breeds. What got you into, into that and so passionate about that? Um, actually I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic. So I figured if I could flip it over, they could too. I just celebrated my five years sober in February. Oh, well, that's amazing. Congratulations. You know, that is such a, that's Thank such you. a huge thing, right? Like, and then to be rededicating and trying to help these dogs have the better life, the, the life that you're you know now leading on this road is, is really beautiful. I didn't, I didn't know that Renee. That's really, that's really special. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I was fostering. And like I said, I took in way too many dogs. I don't recommend my lifestyle to anybody. Um, but I, I'm doing what I can. And I realized that through training, I can help more dogs than I can ever own. Right. Because you're going directly to the source. You're, you're going directly to the client. You're going directly to do this. And, and I think that leads into this quote that you have that I absolutely love, the statement on your website, it says um, that you are going to help you, helping train on both ends of the leash to make sure that the bond stays sacred between you and your four-legged companion. What does that look like when that relationship is, is kept sacred between a client and their dog? Yeah. So what I mean by that is um, a lot of the times we as humans are sending so many mixed signals to our animals that we're actually making them kind of paranoid. Mm. Um, so Things like leash reactivity, for example. If I've got a dog with leash reactivity, the first thing I ask my client is, what do you do when you see a dog? Well, I take in my leash. Okay, so you add a whole bunch of tension to tell your dog how scary the situation is. If we're calm, we take that, I say this very loosely, but quote-unquote leadership role, right? Our dogs were bred to follow our guidance. They want to work for us. That's what they want to do. And we put our dogs in this role where they're telling us what to do they fall apart most of the time. Right. So when we kind of step up and become the neutral most, we're, we're supposed to be the most predictable thing in their life. 
Even when the whole world is on fire, we are, yes, good. Yes, good. Here we go. That's a fire. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I mean by that, right? Uh, Classic example. I had my, my Cane Corso in my car with me one day, heading out to work with a client. She's super scared of people, but amazing with other dogs. So I use her to help rehab other dogs. We were on our way. I was driving about 50, 60 miles an hour. And next thing I know, a deer came through my windshield. (laughs) Literally, my windshield came into my car, totaled my Jeep right there on the side of the road. And I had a deer in my car. Whoa. So I've got this dog who's terrified of the world, who was just in a car accident with me. Mm. And I've spent, at this point, two years rehabbing her. And I'm like, great. It's all over. So glass in my hair, in my mouth, I got out of my car with my spray cheese, blew the glass out, pulled her out. We did tricks until the ambulance showed up just to make sure. And she hopped in the car the next day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We forget. That's what I mean. Yeah. We forget that those things that we're communicating, whether we recognize it or not, right? That leash is a two-way communication street that, and, and that's, you know, that same way in these situations of your dog is looking to you going, do I freak out now? Do I freak out now? Do I freak out now? (laughs) (laughs) You're you're kind of freaking out. Should I be freaking out too? You seem pretty scared. It must be your fault. You must be the bad guy. Don't worry, mom. I got it. (laughs) Right. And then to to know that you have these dogs, especially whenever they're going through this recovery process, how fragile Mm -hmm. that, that that line is, that tether that's keeping them afloat, knowing that that's something that we need to be, you know, watchful of. And, and for pet sitters, protecting that as well right like we we have um just for us we recently had a client reach out to us that wants to come over and start taking care of the dog but the wife had just gotten out of a 10-year abusive relationship with her husband and she was crazy uh concerned about how this dog was going to be around me and we worked with it and we worked with it and she had cameras in her room and and she called me the other Mm. day and said i just watched those videos of you two and I cry because I never, mm. I thought my dog was so broken. I couldn't have him around another human being again. And yeah. when you're on the floor and you're cuddling with him and you're allowing him to, you know, be a dog around you, you know, yeah. it is this beautiful thing. And, and that's something that we get to experience and we get to share with our clients, right? Like that's so cool. But, but always recognizing that, you know, we, we we're helping them through that process. Absolutely. And you know, you brought up a really good point. Let's say everything goes to crap and you had a bad visit with the dog. Throw him a treat anyways. Always end on a good note. Don't leave on that bad note. You'll set yourself up for failure when you show back up. (laughs) You're right. Again, looking to the positive, keeping that reinforcement going and letting them know. I think it's it's basically our our way of being like, it's going to be okay, right? Yeah. Tomorrow's a new day. It's going to be okay. Let's try again. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's just yeah. rinse and repeat. <laughs> I, I know that there are a lot of resources out there. Uh, and so mm-hmm. if people are listening and they want to find more information or go, you know, where, what are some places that you go for information or that you would recommend to others to, to go check out? Yeah. So when I first got started, I went through animal behavior college to get kind of my basics under me to see if I even liked dog training. I just wanted to see if I even wanted it. So I went through that school. It was great. You get six months online, six months with a mentor in your area. I love that. So I kept my personal mentor. And then when I got specifically into aggression, I started training under a guy named Michael Shikashio. And if you're looking for anything specifically aggression, 
He's the go-to man. He's amazing. Renee, this has been a really wonderful conversation. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed it, learning about aggression, learning about our role in protecting our dogs and our role in helping them flourish and, and be on that great road to recovery and that beautiful story that you have as well. But I know there's a lot more to cover, right? We, we didn't go through Animal <laughs> Behavior College. And, and so if people want to get connected with you, pick your brain on this and just get connected, how best can they do that? Yeah, so I'm pretty easy. Email is on my website, streetdogrehab at gmail.com. Uh, my phone number is on my website. I'm on Facebook. That's a really good way to get a hold of me. I even run a um, a dog training group on Facebook. There's a link in my profile, and I'll give it to you for the show notes as well. Yep. Join in. I post up free tips all the time. We've got a wonderful community built up. Awesome. Yeah, I encourage everybody to go and, and start learning and start getting connected and and see exactly how we can start putting some of these things into practice in our in our businesses and when we're interacting with dogs. So, Renee, again, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. Most of us will not encounter the level of aggression in dogs that Renee experiences because she specifically seeks them out through her business. However, I do think it is critically important that as pet professionals, we are prepared to start working with smaller cases and know where our limits are as pet sitters, as dog walkers, to hand that off to somebody else so that A, we don't get in over our head and that B, that dog can get the best care and best attention possible and be working towards a solution. And again, we get to be part of that. We get to help partner with the owner and with the trainer if they decide to bring one on and work with everybody to be consistent and to continue improving the quality of life for that pet. We want to thank our sponsors, Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International for making today's show possible. And we want to thank you so much for listening and for supporting the show in every way that you do. We'd love to hear feedback and get your perspective on what it means to work with an aggressive dog and what experiences you have had and how you have been shaped and molded through those in your business and how you interact with them. Send us an email at feedback at petsterconfessional.com. Or you can call us 636-364-8260. We'd love to be able to play an audio clip of your voicemail on the show with some feedback. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll be back again soon.